It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. And don't forget our Twitter tag, at bzetechshow. My name's Michael Steindl. I'm joined today by our hosts, Natalie Bucknell and Kay Wenigal. If you listened last week, you would have heard that, about the interesting work that Energy Networks Australia have been doing with a range of stakeholders to develop a roadmap for the electricity network through to 2050. If you didn't get the chance to hear this, you can go back and listen to the podcast. There are a range of other fascinating network topics that we just didn't have time last week, so we asked Dr Stuart Johnston to come and join us again to address the, some of these other topics. As a reminder, if you missed our last sh- or if you missed our last show, Dr Stuart Johnston is the Executive Director of the Assets and Network Transformation at Energy Networks Australia. Energy Networks Australia is the peak national body representing gas distribution and electricity transmission and distribution businesses throughout Australia. 25 electricity and gas network companies are members of NG Network Australia, providing governments, policymakers and the community with a single point of reference for major energy network issues in Australia. Stuart, last week the topic of network opportunity maps was mentioned briefly. We'd love to hear more about that today and get a better understanding of, of these. So firstly, what is a network opportunity map? So the maps are a tool that provide detailed information to encourage local renewable energy, battery storage and other smart demand management in the Australian electricity grid and it makes it easy for proponents to actually identify where the right location for some of those those items could be and the size of those to actually um, assist or or get the best out of them um, within the within the NEM. The whole idea was to design to enable the future clean energy projects to actually identify some of those different opportunities that are out there. Okay, who developed these maps, Stuart? The maps were actually a, a done in combination with three years' work of combination of, uh, by the Institute of Sustainable Futures, ISF, out of uh, the University of Technology, Sydney, in partnership with Energy Networks Australia, ARENA, uh, the New South Wales Government, CSIRO, and we also had some key industry partners such as Ergon Energy, Osnet Services, Powerlink, uh, Electronet and Transgrid. But the, the key pieces of work were actually done by ISF to actually develop the maps to where they are at the moment. So, Stuart, what data are they based on? The data is actually based on information provided by the networks and all the, the networks are actually put together around what needs to be done on the network, uh, some of the key, all the investment data, where they've got constraints, where they've got um, components of that, which, which goes into things like the DAPA data, so distribution data and... Sorry, uh, you, you it's, just it's, said DAPA. What does DAPA mean? <laughs> we're, we're going That's, to put you uh, up on the acronyms today. <laughs> sorry, DAPA is... Uh, uh, instead of going through the acronym, which probably won't mean anything to people, basically it's, it's sets of data that the AER, Australian Energy Regulator, requires <laughs> on an annual basis by uh, uh, distribution companies to be made public to help people make good investment decisions on, on, on the network to make where there are, are, are issues. 
what's been done with some of that information is actually to look to, with the, um, the ISF maps is to actually take that and turn it into something that's not rather than just spreadsheets of data and information, it's actually sp uh, turning that into interactive maps, which are actually a lot easier tool for proponents of the large scale all the way down to the lo uh, smaller scale to actually look at and use uh, to actually identify what opportunities there are out there for getting renewables into the system. Now, having a look at them, it's an amazing amount of detail that you can get, drill into and and get out of it. So what's the range of information that these maps can actually convey? <laughs> There's all sorts of different areas, I suppose, that they can actually go into. The whole idea is, is um, visualisation. You can actually look at it down to things like constraint seasons, so what does it look like um, at different times of the year, looking at terms of what asset types are out there, looking at the investment drivers in terms of where there's overcapacity on the system, where it can, and another area there could be, um, and, and constraints, where in other parts it could be where there's opportunities in terms of there's underinvestment, and so there, uh, the whole idea is where people can actually go and look at um, putting an individual plant, or like renewable um plant into the system or it could actually be looking at renewable energy zones. Some of the, the issues that we're actually looking at at the moment with the Security Council, so looking at what's the optimum or ideal for, for building some of those uh, renewable energy zones uh, across the network. And is there time information on this too, Stuart, saying um, giving predictions out uh, um, predictions into the future, which is a bit of a tautology. Um, can you can you scale along and say what's going to be happening in 2030 with the current trends? Yes, you can. There's a, the whole idea of the data, predicted data, also out to uh, for, for ten years, uh, and so there's a whole idea you can actually look at what's what's going to happen in those areas uh, through those models in a pictorial sense to actually uh, look at how that's actually going to track and some opportunities through that. To go with that, this data is actually updated at the moment on an annual basis, and so and uh, including some of the that, the modelling data, looking out for the ten years. So the whole idea is they're continually updated. Uh, where, where we're looking at taking it going forward so now that um, the, the pilot to actually set these up has been finished Energy Networks Australia has actually taken over the, the hosting of these maps going forward and, and, the, and the updates of these and as part of that we're looking at how can we actually instead of doing these on an annual cycle how can we we're now looking at doing this um, the updates on a, on a twice a year and then if we can we're looking at trying to make this down to uh, as as close to up to date as possible, so maybe down, all the way down to nearly on, on a monthly monthly level going forward. Well, with so many new projects coming online, it's a, a good idea, really. Oh, it, it's a it's a huge one, and again, it helps us as networks. One of the things that we've been criticised in the past is we don't make data available in a form that's really easy to for people to understand. Uh, it's been really hard for them to articulate where opportunities are. And this is actually a great tool for actually trying to break through some of those barriers and, and make that information available uh, in, in, form, in formats that's really, really easy to interpret and, and for people to actually identify where there are opportunities and, uh, going forward. So talking about availability, this, is, this data is obviously available to the industry contributors, but it's also available much more widely, isn't it? Where yes. General public um, can access it? Yes, it's, this is actually on the Arimi website. So again, this is Arimi. being uh, is the Australian Renewable Energy Master of Information. Yes, and mm -hmm. that which is uh, which was a um, initiative of the Australian government. So they um, it sits under the CSIRO banner under, under Data Sixty One project, where they actually built this mapping layer for 
um, all sorts of different information to actually get that out into the public domain. Mm-hmm. They are hosting the maps for us uh, on that site. So we do the data, we do all the manipulation, uh, load it all up, and then we load that directly into the Aremi website. So it's actually available for the general public to, to utilise. My understanding is that this is the most popular, since it's actually gone live, it's the most popular mapping layers on, on the actual Aremi website. Are you able to tell us easily where people, where listeners could find those maps then? Yes. So go to the Australian Renewable, Renewable Energy Mapping Infrastructure or Aremi web portal. So if you just look that up on, on, your, on your Google mm-hmm. web search, then once you actually got onto that site, click, go through and you'll actually see the, the, the maps on the, on the actual site. Click Add Data, then select Electricity Infrastructure and, the, and Network Opportunities. And then select Network Opportunity Maps Layer from the following. And then there'll be a whole lot of uh, different layers underneath that, which will be like a lay- available distribution capacity, proposed investment, annual deferral values, peak day va- available capacity. And so you can just go through those and actually and do those different layers and, and see how they, they work. And you can zoom in, zoom out of different parts of, of, the, of the networks uh, across the NEM. Mm. And it, um, that Aremi site's easy enough to find, but the next step, the Add Data tag will... Uh, button that you press um that was a scary one to me because i thought i'm not adding data but that's actually how you get at the maps isn't it yes and that's that's the um uh interesting point and we have been talking to the guys at uh, at Aremi just to try and make that a little bit more yeah. uh, intuitive yeah, but data. <laughs> something like yeah. play, with, play with data yeah yeah so what are the limitations to the use of the maps Stuart? the limitations are like anything, it's 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 based on the information that we receive and also the, how up to date some of that information is. So obviously, there's we need to try and make sure that the data is as up to date as possible. And so we're trying to encourage our members through some of the work we're doing at the moment. Uh, we'd like we're creating a new um, electronic template, which make it a lot easier for them to get their data and upload that data on, on a more regular basis into the system. So. If it's on an annual basis towards the end of the 12 months, there could be things that have come through which, which may make some of that, the, the data a little bit more inaccurate. It won't be terrible because of the thing like that, but it'll, be, it'll change slightly over the yeah, year. Yeah, of course it will. The, the rate things are changing. You said that Energy Networks is solely responsible now for the upkeep of the maps. How did that come about? <laughs> we were a partner on this and we were part of the steering committee of, oh, actually, um, of, the, of their development. So we've been part of, of the whole project from the, from the, uh, the get-go. However, uh, with the way the project was set up, um, ARENA funded the f- for the first three years of actually developing these with funding from industry, which is ourselves and our members. But UTS, once they actually finished it, they did, they weren't in a position to actually to take that any further, like um, or to, to uh, for the ongoing hosting. They wanted to make sure they stayed relevant, and so part of the remit of the of the of the project was to actually for them to identify a a host which would actually make sure that these stayed up to date, stayed relevant, and this became the, the the tool of of the industry going forward. When we actually talked through to the industry, it was the, the logical choice that, that um, the networks needed to take this over and take ownership of, of, of themselves. And so uh, through approval of, of all of our, of our members, we are now directly funding the whole of, of the maps going forward in terms of their, their hosting and their, their upkeep and their updates. Plus, we're also looking at... So we don't want these, the map layers as they are to stay static. We're also looking at how we can actually uh, improve these over time to, to make sure that... Um, uh, we got. We might want new functionality. We might want uh, uh, more 
uh, granularity in some of the data so you can actually dive deeper into it. So we're actually doing a lot of work with our distribution companies now to actually add, so we can get it nearly all the way down to the street level in some of the areas. And uh, we're looking at working with Generate. So we've got a new map that's just come on board around uh, generation connection opportunities. So the whole idea is that we, we keep adding to what the stakeholders actually out there want and, and need and we can actually provide that new functionality. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Dr. Stuart Johnson from the Energy Networks Australia about network opportunity maps and their applications. So, Stuart, last week you mentioned that you used the maps to identify possibilities for renewable zones. Can you give us a bit more information about how how you would do that? So, in terms of how someone would actually use the tools, I suppose it is an interactive tool that can be used... Uh, by a proponent out there or a planner or a um, local government or whoever may want to look at this to assess the local capacity of networks to host those generation sources. The information is designed to help speed up connection inquiries. Uh, so if a person's actually looking at an issue, it'll help them actually look at the, try and cut down areas which may not be feasible or have different issues and they can actually go out there and look at some of that information before and come up with specific questions back to the networks to actually help them in terms of their inquiries. It'll also help identify potential local technical issues as part of that connection request and help facilitate some of the ideas of, of how we can actually make some of that network information more readily available. Not only, it's to, particularly some of the planners, people like AEMO are, are going to be using this quite heavily. Um, local councils, etc., etc. they can look at what their issues are in their areas and, and planning around some of the, their zoning issues as well. So it would be more for those sort of organisations rather than say me, I've got a wind farm that I'd like to put in in Ballarat and I want to use this, the maps to, to determine how where the best location is. Is that an application? Yeah, that certainly is one. So if you wanted to put a new wind farm in, um, it might be only a small-scale one, but it's a wind farm at Ballarat, the whole idea is you'd actually zoom into that part of of the map, look into it and look at the areas around Ballarat in terms of where would be the best location for that wind farm to actually go into in terms of actually connecting to the grid, where it'll be least constrained, provide the best, I suppose, investment for for, in terms of the use, in terms of how often it can actually generate into the system uh, and actually uh, not be constrained off, off off the system. Okay. Yeah, and it'd also tell you where the grid is and the opportunities of hooking into the grid. Yeah, so it then helps you identify within those locations where could actually be the best places that are adjacent to some of those lines. And so we're also looking at long-term actually overlaying this with some of the more closer topography areas. And so you can actually then look at, um, well, this could actually be the best zone uh, in terms of for a wind farm, in terms of that location. How does that actually locate to the line and what constraints could actually be on it? So you can then work out um, different options for it and actually then work those through with part of your own planning planning processes. The federal government is now including new coal into the energy mix through the NEG, the new energy guarantee. So are they going to be shown up, those locations going to be shown up on your renewables-based network opportunity maps? We hadn't planned to. The whole idea of this was in terms of ideas for generation across the... um, renewables generation into into the system and try to identify and locate uh, some of those sort of areas. In terms of... Um, I suppose you could utilise these by... Those proponents could still utilise that to actually identify where their constraints are so they may want to... If they were going to build a new coal-fired power station in, in an area, uh, they could actually identify some uh, uh, optimal areas for themselves as well so they could still utilise this. But it's more for, for the renewables to go in there. So, yes, it could be utilised for that, but it's not 
And that's not what it's planned for. Mm. Stuart, you mentioned last week that the energy markets are evolving and that there'll be multiple market-led energy and ancillary services platforms. Um, so energy, obvious, ancillary services, um, just for those who aren't up with the ter- terminology, are things like frequency regulation and um, primarily and also things like restart um, capability and so on. How do you ensure that these can be integrated to work together? <laughs> um, <laughs> Easy question. <laughs> uh, and at the moment, there's, there's a whole lot of issues that we're actually, challenges we're facing across the networks. And we are looking at some of those different solutions that you just mentioned there to actually help manage uh, all the renewables that are coming on board to, around voltage management, looking at uh, load unbalance, oh, balance, balancing loads, visibility of loads, generation storage, etc., etc. Certainly got some low-cost solutions that we've been trying to deploy. So we're doing some work with load and PV balancing across phases. We're looking at implemented um, and updated inverter standards so we can actually try and change those to make it uh, how we actually utilise those and, 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 and within the system. Uh, demand management capability developed to use hot water loads to mitigate some of the issues around load shedding and so we can actually get better better usage of that across the day. Obviously, things like uh, monitoring of the LV system, sorry, low-voltage system mm-hmm. on distribution transformers to get greater visibility of that, that lower end of the network so we can actually look at the constraints there and we can actually try and shift those balances. And, and also, we're looking at uh, some of that data analytics to help us manage some of those issues in terms of our forward forecasting and day-on day forecasting. So those, How the, sorry, those levers you just mentioned, are they mainly an NG Networks Australia thing or are they actually coming, apart from the last one where you're talking about the data, or are they actually relying on coming out of the network opportunity maps? There are actually a network sort of options, Function. functions, but where we're trying to go with the maps, obviously as long-term as we're going to be, if we go down right down to the distribution and we get down to the street level, a lot of those sort of items will become come critical in terms of how we actually try and load those. And we'd, we'd then be looking at utilising a tool like this. So I actually want to turn this tool into a, like a real-time, you can actually now look at... Uh, uh, data going into it um, in the in the long term, which people can then actually look at opportunities or or and we can actually help them uh, help us manage the the system in in a, in, a, in a in a more in tune way, I suppose. So in terms of when they inject it, uh, power into the system, what times, how it's done, and also then help facilitate markets and things like that as well. You have things called DNSPs, the Distribution Network Service Provider, and a consideration is that they must have an ADMS, an Advanced Distribution Management System, um, to work out what the lowest marginal cost is and deliver the additional functions of a DSO, a Distributed Systems office, um, Operator. Th- this is all sounding... Well, two things about this. One is, uh, from my um, many, many years in the um, IT industry, this is sounding very much like the internet with uh, your DHCP, your Distributed Host Control Protocol, being similar to the Advanced Distribution Network Management and, and DNS servers and so on. Is it modelling the internet in trying to do this and treating it more like data? And secondly, how do you do this? It sounds like a huge headache to do this with real time um, and real <laughs> functionality rather than just packets that are flying around the network. Yeah, look, it, it, that is the challenge I'm going through at the moment. All those other things I was talking about in terms of those solutions, they're great, but they can only go so far. And with the more and more generation coming at the lower end of the systems, we need to actually create new platforms to enable the grid. 
part of that's going to be around the technology that uh, delivers the data and control functionality required to enable the intelligent grid operation and underpin the system. Then you've got the issue around the, the, the power plat, uh, platform itself, which is transporting the industry. But then what's the digital office platform that will actually need to sit across that to enable the data analytics and collaboration, not only from the network's perspective, but also with the customers and stakeholders. And so it's going to have to mirror exactly where, we, where the internet's gone in terms of um, to actually optimise that investment decisions, emergency response, customer choice and business strategies. So the issues we're, we're looking at at the moment trying to solve is how do we actually build that, but doing that in a, in a safe and reliable way. Before I said how comprehensive your maps were, and they include lots of hydro locations, most of those locations, as far as I can see, appear to be for on-river rather than off-river opportunities. Andrew Blake has put out a pumped hydro report early this year or late last year talking about pumped hydro all around Australia. Is that incorporated on your maps? Um it's not at the moment. However, that's where we'd like to, to go. So we have we are interested, and I know the guys at UTS have been talking, is that how can we actually then get that information and data and actually load that into the system as well? Mm. Uh, so we're very open. The whole idea is as well, studies come, to come to on you. board. It's not so much that. That only got published as of about uh, two months ago. And just get the, the latest update, which we only, we, we only launched officially uh, a week ago, but uh, went live about uh, two weeks ago. That's nearly, um, it took us about four or five months to get that to that level. So even if we were going through that process, we wouldn't have got it in for this, this load. However, going forward, uh, that's one of the things we actually are interested in, in grabbing some of his information and, and data layers and actually right. overlaying that into the system. Excellent. Just in the last minute we've got, Stuart, um, ENA, NG Network Australia, has developed an outline plan for gas through to 2050, and listeners can find that also on that website. It is a big topic, and I realise that gas isn't your primary area, but how do you justify or, or, or why are you including gas out to 2050, um, given that so much of the evidence says that we basically have to get off fossil fuels immediately? What we've identified, I suppose, is gas still has an ascent, a, a, a role to play in the the energy mix going forward, particularly as we trans transition. But there's also other opportunities and ideas around, around the gas in terms of new fuels such as biogas and hydrogen or, or, and how we can actually look at taking that through in, in terms of the systems and okay. looking at... So transitioning yeah, so, to, to those sort of possibilities. Yeah, so, we, so the whole idea is, is utilising the current system at the moment as part of the, the transition. So as we, we get away from the coal, then gas as it is is will actually provide um, those peaking plants to actually help us go through that transition. And then as we go through, get past that transition, we're then looking at uh, developing those new fuels through uh, around those biogas and hydrogen uh, technologies, which will then come into, the, into their own and actually replace the existing gas. I'm sorry, we have just run right out of time, but thank you for that answer. That really helps. We've been talking to Dr Stuart Johnson from Energy Networks Australia about their network opportunity maps. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, then you can go to bze.org.au and click on Podcasts. If you enjoy the program, please consider donating. All our labour is voluntary, but the station still costs to run and we do need to cover those costs. Um, thank you again, Stuart, and goodbye, everyone. Hope to see you next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. 
Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.